on this episode of Chew Diligence, Beth Barden. We'll talk about her brunch destination, Succotash, from its famous dessert. You know, cake really for me was the thing that I think makes everybody just kind of happy and the thought of like a big weird piece of cake that you can't help but smile at and share because it's obscenely large <laughs> appealed to me. <laughs> to the decor. Oh, the amount of times people send me horrible things about how I have no, I should have no business having that in my dining room. And I just, all I can do is roll my eyes and be like, sis, you need to get out more. <laughs> and how Queer Eye's Kansas City seasons not only brought Beth a new close friend, it also launched a new part of her career. I'm thinking, oh, I can do this. I make a pretty plate of food. It's all fine. Then I YouTube it. No, don't ever do that to yourself. Yeah. It's like, I have an itch. Let's go on WebMD. Oh, I'm dying. Oh, oh it's a, what, yeah. kind, what kind of parasite from Borneo is this? But I've never been. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Chew Diligence in the 41 Action News podcast studio. Lindsay Shively here with Jill Silva. Hi, Jill. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? Good. As we enter year two of Chew Diligence with our intrepid producer, Haley, as well, and Beth Barton joining us on this episode from Succotash and lots of other amazing things. Hi. Hi. Morning. Morning. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. We love to start with first the food. Um, well, first, Jill, we got to talk about the big party that we had at Betty Ray's. Oh, yeah. Was that fun or what? Yeah. So the Chew Diligence Sunday, was it everything you thought it would be? Yes. Haley, you can jump in here, too. We know you know how to... <laughs> She's smiling. We know you know how to get on the mic now, because we put you on the mic. We right? heard you. <laughs> yeah, you did. And I kind of regret that decision. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have to talk more now. <laughs> yes, you will. We got to meet Haley's family. Thanks for everybody that came out to see us and, and got a Sunday. They had it quite a few ordered. Yeah, and it was chewy, wasn't it? brownie with this amazing toffee brittle on top and then caramel corn just very nice and Still i like thinking about that brownie yeah i know i was thinking about that sunday yesterday wanted it badly i can't remember i guess i was stressed out but it's <laughs> <laughs> a good answer to stress <laughs> it is and i kept thinking of the cinnamon ice cream too that you right chose. yes yes perfect mm. accompaniment i had their arnold palmer ice cream how was yeah. that do tell okay so i went we were at the Feast 50 Awards, and I was lucky enough that I did cake, and so they were behind me with ice cream. Holy moly. <laughs> like, for real. Um, the most beautiful blend of, like, creamy and acidic and just perfection. This beautiful kind of um, very vanilla forward and, um, like, just very impossibly silky lemon ice cream. Mm. And then the steeped uh, tea ice cream that had just a bit of bergamot it tasted like underneath. I'm not even sure. Like an Earl Grey or something like that. And then the two together, it was like a super fancy Arnold Palmer, but blended in this way where, yeah, I don't even eat that much ice cream, but I would have gone in elbows deep in that. (laughs) (laughs) It was so delicious. I mean, just impossibly delicious. I remember seeing that flavor on the wall and thinking, what would that taste Ooh, like? I would drive mm-hmm. for that. Okay. I mean, really. It's good to know. That's another one where I might not be bold enough to order it on my own, but if somebody gives it rave oh, reviews like that. It's great. You mm-hmm. have to move on from goat cheese, Lindsay. I know. You I just have a goat have cheese to. problem. It's so, have you had their goat cheese ice cream, Beth? I would eat goat cheese anything pretty much. <laughs> exactly. I feel like tea Is would it? have the same kind of fresh 
that the goat cheese does, right? I like, love it. It has a little, it gives it a little bit of tang or just another layer without yeah. being cloying. And I think if you're going to have that much fat and have it carry, I love having a bit of an acid to it mm-hmm. because it makes it more, um, it more palatable. Listen to her describe that perfectly. And my attempt was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's sh- a little... Chefs are usually kind of good at that. That's right. Um, That's yeah. right. I love that. What are those words? Please tell us. <laughs> so from ice cream. I, um, we always do first the food, more food. We want to talk about places we're eating in town. Beth, do you want to start us off uh, when you are not eating <coughs> and cooking and all of that? When you go out to eat in Kansas City, where do you go? Uh, I think for years and years, my favorite has been uh, Foo Frog. There's just something about it that is perfect to me. Like if I want to have a little salad or just a bowl of soup or go in and have happy hour with friends, their patio on a Friday is ridiculous. Mm. And I've never taken anybody there that wasn't absolutely just a convert. Hmm. It's just a magical place. We used to go from the star. Uh, There was a period there where we went quite often on Friday for their happy hour. It's so great. It's the best patio in the city in my mind. It's really beautiful, fun, funky, and also their Cure Royale. Pretty, pretty nice little drink to start your Friday afternoon. I love a (laughs) Paranel or a Pastis and to be able to have that and not have somebody kind of go, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or why? (laughs) Yeah. Lots yeah. of personality there. Yeah. They've been around a long time and then continued to survive when now there are so many other options too, you know? I mean, that kind of is a testament to how good they are. Well, I also think like knowing who you are and even when everything around you changes and mm-hmm. people grab onto whatever trend or whatever's happening, I think if you're authentically who you are, people respond to it. Mm-hmm. And whether they like it or they don't, they still have a response, which I think is valid. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I lovely. My first time I ever ate there was um, 20 years ago. A bunch of my friends and I didn't have dates to a high school dance. And we're like, well, we're not going and we're going to go take ourselves to a fancy dinner and we're going to go to Le Fou Frog. And it was lovely. <laughs> yeah. Well, the dining room was great. It's like it's all different ages. And I, mean, and I don't go that often. It, truly, I don't eat. I don't eat out that much mm-hmm. uh, because there's an aspect of it that always feels like going to work. So unless I'm facing the wall, it's like you can't help but notice everything that's just kind of balanced precariously around you. So it's hard to shut it off, you know. And so if I'm facing the wall or just kind of blissfully unaware, it's fantastic. I always feel like (laughs) confessions here. I've been to (laughs) Europe, but I have not been to France. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when I go there, I am transported. This is exactly what eating in France must be like. It feels you know? like it feels like a very um and I have been but certainly again not, you know, it was like backpacking and Yeah, yeah. you know, as a kid and it was wonderful, but that reminds me very much of little family restaurants in Marseille and very just kind of comfortable, been there forever, wholly timeless. Mhm. Yeah. And there's something really you know, in a way that other people, you know, like that travel want to see, you know, I, I love going to Applebee's or I love going somewhere because it's always the same. It's always the same. I get that, you know, not my favorite, but I get that. But when you find a place that you could drop it in New York or you could drop it in Kansas City or mm-hmm. France or Colorado, I mean, wherever you put it, 
if you walk in the door, it's exactly the thing it's meant to be. I find you that. just kind of sink into it in a way that you can't other places when everything around you is just exactly right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. They it brought does. the bistro culture. I feel that way about that place and a little bit about Brookside's Cafe Europa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels very comfortable in the same way when you walk yeah. in. Yeah, right? like a different style of small mom and pop, like family dining. Mm-hmm. But and elevated. lasting, very lasting. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like you're saying, Beth, the, the trends, we tend yeah. to, I think we're, at least Lindsay and I are very guilty, maybe you're not, of running to the new thing. We've yeah. got to yeah. know about the new thing because, right, we've got to talk about it. But it's part of what you do know. and that's, yeah. you know, that's, you need to be on top of that, like in all fairness. If you're not doing that, that you're not doing your jobs well. True, but so, then you But think then you're excited about it too. You're right. excited to go back in time though too and go, oh, I love that place. Right. You know, right. like why do why is that not on everybody's mind all the time, well, right? But every one of the new things that happen are as a result of everything that's come before it. Hmm. I mean, innovation is steeped in tradition and if you do it well, you learn the basics and then you flip them on their ear in a way that's good for you and everybody else around you. And you reinterpret things and fusion, whatever the hell people want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really like I look at things like Foo Frog. They're exactly what they are. They're exactly what they do. Um, they have really innovative specials. They use really strange game meat and like mm-hmm. Oful and like all of these things that come into trend with different um, – schools of thought and cooking and, you know, technique and sous vide and all of that is there. But at the heart of it, they have a ridiculously delicious plate of frites. Mm -hmm. I mean, they do a nice cocktail. Somebody says hi to you when you come in. It's it's neighborhoody in a way that it could be if you had, you know, the sustainability to pay, you know, for, you know, not a five, ten dollar meal every time you go in. Right. So, like, it's not something that I go to all the time, but it's also not so expensive that it's a uh, investment meal. Right. Right. You can yeah, go. Like, you can do what you need to do and what you want to do in there and get out, you know, reasonably. Mm-hmm. But it's so good. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it just, it's so good. You know, we've talked a lot, Jill and I, about going back to the places we've been before. And that's, um, my family was in town. My in-laws are Swedish, uh, as is my husband. And when they come, they always want to go to Krokstrom, mm-hmm. and especially apps so good, and especially this time because Katie was very vocal, Chef Katie, about it had been a difficult winter, and if yes. you don't come in, you mm-hmm. may not see us soon. And people went, and that was a big light bulb for us. And we've talked about this on the show before, so yeah, just another that my first of food this episode is Krokstrom, and if you feel like you don't know what to eat with Scandinavian food, or that makes you feel like you don't know if you want to go, How's the this? brunch is a great. Entry point, or, I think. do you love a potato? Exactly. <laughs> right. Do you love some cheese? Oh. I mean, like, it may sound really over. It's not just a bunch of weird pickly things on a wood board. No. And, like, it's not that. No. So my daughter loves those weird pickly things. Oh, me too. I mean, it's stuck in her mind, you know, that pickled grapes. She'd never had pickled grapes so before, good. and she thought that was amazing. Son was a little less into the pickle thing, but... Everybody can get into their hot dog, right? Yeah. Their bar dog, which is just yeah, amazing, that Scandinavian dog. So, And their dessert. Well, and the yes. mushroom strudel <clears throat> oh, is yeah. really exactly. delicious and little potato cakes, like all of it. It's just approachable. I get, I get so stuck on the things yeah, that right. I love on, that epi- on her uh, menu that I hadn't had the mushroom strudel. And that's coming up in her. She's one of the restaurants that's going to be on the diners, drive-ins, and dives. Her episode's on the 13th, I think. 
They did that and The Flying Jacob, which she has researched like a recipe from decades ago. She found that is chicken and, and peanut sauce and banana. Bananas. Yeah. It's really interesting. I don't know a lot about this Flying Jacob. I'm going to have to explore. Because she asked Seb, she asked my husband, he's like, have you eaten this? Have you heard of this? And he hadn't, but which by all means, he's not, <laughs> he is Swedish, not the authority of all things Swedish food. <laughs> right. It doesn't mean it's not absolutely uh, He's legit. the king of Sweden. You're right, right. He's <laughs> living in Kansas City. Uh, yeah. Um, but no, we, we had it and it was a great combination of flavors that we did not think, you know, don't think would work. And they were awesome. Yeah. Really good. Well, how about your family when they... Did, did they have any issues with authenticity? Did they no. like it? Did they think? They're so thrilled, especially something like, um, you know, Toskagen, which is not a wildly complicated thought. Like, you know, it's basically shrimp salad on toast with dill with a little caviar on top. But they can't go out and order that anywhere. And that's like a real fun staple that they miss, right. that they always go out and eat. And I'm addicted to because <laughs> if it has mayonnaise, it's probably great and lovely. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, with you on that. So order the Toskagen if you go to. It's awesome. But yeah, they, they really do love the menu and, and the semla and like all kinds of stuff there that they think. This is great that I can order this somewhere. And if you like to drink, they do a beautiful uh, aquavit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They do. They, they infuse different ones that are, if you like to drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, but it's just the flavors are great and it gives yeah. you a chance to have a bunch of different spices and kind of do something unique with it. It's very unique. Um Josh will be out at Powell Gardens doing uh, some kinds of cocktails, and I, I bet Aquavie will be involved. We had somebody order a mead flight, and I'm not sure how many other places you can get a mead flight I, there. I've done that. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. And again, you can get an education of where all this mead is coming from, mm. and some of it's regional, some of it's... Danish, high- I think. Danish, is. exactly. So, you or you know. can just drink it with some cake. Yeah, and just not worry about where it's from. It's just good. It's equal opportunity. Yes. You can go to school or you can just get a little tipsy. That's either way. You're fine. Yeah. You, you went to another restaurant celebrating their DDD episode, Triple D episode. Yeah, I went to Hirocho, the original. Um, I was invited to the watch party because I was actually part of the taping, um, as you were part of the Crookstrom taping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was an experience watching that, right? Yeah, it was very educational. I will not, I'm sure, show up anywhere. Somebody said they saw me in passing. I said, I don't think that was me. I was way <laughs> in the corner. That's fine. Um, but yeah, it was it was really fun. I want to watch the episode again because um, there was, you know, a lot of service going on. So you couldn't really hear the words, but mm. you could see Carlos's megawatt smile. And yeah. so that was pretty cool. Um, and, of course, had some fabulous scallops while I was there and some squid ink rice. Um, and my husband had the lobster, which is never bad. That's <laughs> and the, really sad. And lote, really, you know. I'm so, sorry for so Jill, good of you right? to, <laughs> I know. so good of you to do that for the sake of us all. I know. I know. I tasted the paella, too, for the first time. Oh. That's yeah. one of the only things I've had a chance to eat from Hirocho, and I thought it was you know, amazing. Like, I always go in, if Carlos is there and it's not this kind of situation, I tend to do omakase. Mm. Just bring me stuff. Don't make me think too hard, right? Because you can uh, trust him. Yeah, exactly. So this was kind of a time where it's like a girlfriend ordered the pie, and I'm like, oh, I, I got to taste that. I'm embarrassed to say I haven't tried it. <laughs> it was very good. Was it a huge skillet? Huge skillet. She came out and we're like, oops, did we did we order wrong? There was four of us. It's like, should we have ordered one of these? Each one of us got an individual. 
<laughs> we all went for our own entree, and nice. guess what? We did pretty well. Nice. I feel like that with an egg on top the next morning would have been yeah. perfect. So like, I kept saying that, Beth. I kept saying to my girlfriend, that is breakfast. I love cold paella with a broiled tomato and an egg on top of it so hard. That yes. sounds amazing. Yeah. Is that going to show up on the succotash menu? Oh, no. I would never. <laughs> I would never. I don't have the ability to do that. Every that It's kind of the beauty and the sadness of being in the position that I'm in with my restaurant. I'm incredibly grateful that we're busy, and I'm incredibly grateful that it is defined in a way that's sustainable. Uh, but it doesn't leave a lot of room for doing anything else. Hmm. You're cooking as fast as you can cook in an area that's as small as it can you know, possibly be and still function. And at a certain point, all you're trying to do is keep up with it. Hmm. And it Just, doesn't really let you do a lot more than that. Because of the part of day that you cook for? Because of the breakfast crowd and brunch Correct. crowd? Because people are on very limited times. Except hmm. for brunch, you're coming in on your way somewhere. Or at lunch, you're, you know, taking a quick break. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even at brunch, because it's so busy, you can't really linger. And I purposely don't have a bar because it would just make people stay longer and it would make it tougher. Um, But it leaves it, it leaves you in a place where you know you can cook, Mm -hmm. but you never get a chance to express it. Hmm. So it's, it's frustrating and wonderful, kind of all at the same time. I always like when there's limitations on what I cook, for instance. I love CSAs. It overwhelms me to go into Mm. a produce section and deal with the multitude. And I'm wondering if breakfast, you know, and brunch, that also has a certain innovation and uh, freedom because you are limited to what you can do. So you're just going to do it really well and you're going to do it you know, over and over so you perfect it? Well, to me, anything's a brunch food. So I mean, like, I don't, I think it's limitless. Like, Mm -hmm. truly, I I think that it's just, it's an, it's an expansive wilderness, that brunch. (laughs) That brunch thing. That brunch is an expansive, it really is, though. But um, I think it, it is what it's meant to be. And I think that if I decide truly that I want to do something different than, what I'm exploring is doing some pop-up dinners and kind of getting into, like, I used to do Wednesday night dinners in the city market and did them every Wednesday. And um, and then when I first moved to where I'm at now, tried to do dinners, but because we're on a one-way street going the other direction, it was very difficult to get people to know that we were there. Hmm. I think now it's established enough that people know we're there. And if I started doing some dinners, I think we could... Uh, do that and kind of explore giving me an opportunity to cook. It's a brunch destination now for sure, Sagatash is. And you're doing catering too, right? I have been since I started. I have since um, like 2000, 2001. So I got some feedback on that yesterday. I was working at Harvesters doing some grant writing and I sit next to Marissa Young. Oh boy. (laughs) Good friend of yours, I understand. She's lovely. And she said, oh my gosh, do you have any idea what Beth does for catering? I said, no, actually I haven't seen her catering. She was raving. Hmm. So do tell us, what do you do for catering? Because she says it's completely different than what you would see at Sakatash, obviously. It's very, very different. Um, Really across the board, anything you can think of. I, uh, this weekend, uh, for example, I'm doing an all kosher bat mitzvah brunch and dinner, 
and that's cooking off-site and doing a very kind of different setup, but that's wonderful. I've been doing that since probably 2004 and do a lot of big kosher events, which I love because of the restriction. There you go. And because (laughs) operating within that and providing people with things that they don't think they can have uh, and being creative within the rules is really exciting to me, and I love it. But I've done, um, like, box lunch, box brunch, typical things, a lot of weddings, done galas, uh, did the big Charlotte Street Foundation catering that was a chance to just kind of go bonkers and be kind of really (laughs) avant-garde with it. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I do a lot of production catering for, like, seven or eight years in the city market. I did all the bands that came to town. Oh, wow. And all of their production. Um, Last year, I had the opportunity to work with Queer Eye and do their catering. We knew that was going to come up here eventually. We were going to ask you about that. I figured that was a a lazy river segue. (laughs) We've been wanting to talk to you since uh, Anthony Porofsky came on our podcast, and he had such glowing, lovely things to say about you and a new lifelong friendship that you guys forged. I mean, tell us about meeting Anthony, and, and did you do food styling for the book? Well, I started, I got hired as the, the caterer for their production and for the crew every day for lunch. And then about two weeks into that, I got a call and they said, well, can you make a few recipes for some pictures? <laughs> I, was okay. like, I was like, yeah, sure. I'm into it. Which then turned into me asking them, so do you have floral? And the response was, um, sounds good. <laughs> um, do you have plates and, you know, the settings figured out? Yeah. Um, so what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And so I'm literally the next three days uh, driving around town, buying all of everything for everything and, like, for them. Not my paying for it, but um, for them and putting together all the floral Pulling stuff out of my house that I thought was particularly sweet. There's a lot of my stuff in the book. How fun. Like vases and like plants and like just kind of crazy glasses. The bee glass, it's the bobby glass, is my old vintage um, highball glass. Cool. Very cool. So it was neat. And I was very fortunate to be busy enough and mildly terrified enough that I lacked any sense of um, being nervous <laughs> when I met people. I mean, it was just like, Okay, that's like two steps down from like the terror I feel about whether or not this tenderloin is going to look like meat or like a shoe, (laughs) you know, a little nervous. And so it turned into, can you do a few to doing all of the recipes for the whole book? Not, Not my recipes, but, you know, executing them and making two sets of them where there was one to film and then another that they were eating at the dinner party. And so that was the first day that I met them. Was it too light and hundred and like ten degree weather, flop sweating, <laughs> hauling in stuff and like Rubbermaid tubs and just like trying to not? I don't even know. I it was just it was such a fun weird blur. And yeah, I just I remember everybody being there, but uh, he and I in particular just kind of immediately hit it off. And he was standing on the other side of the island while I was cooking. And I had salmon, and it was like this this face of like I'm hungry, <laughs> and like and he is a he is a good eater. I mean, truly one of my favorite people to eat with because joyful. 
Yeah. Like just into it. And it's so fun as a cook to watch somebody just like. Even with those six pack Take it down. Uh, Right, right, right. (laughs) That takes a lot of calories to keep that fluffy. I'm sorry. But like man cannot live on kale and unicorn tears alone. So um, I was making salmon and I was so busy that he was hungry. I picked up a piece of salmon with my bare hand. (laughs) And he held out his hand, and I put the piece of salmon in his hand while I was still doing stuff. And then I put a finger up, and I put a little pinch of finishing salt, and then one more finger up, and like squeezed lemon in his hand, and he just looked at me, and it was like we both looked at each other with the donut eyes of love. It was like, you're my people. And I didn't even think like, oh, that was really inappropriate. I'm working, and there's this like... Oh, man. But instead, he just, you know, sitting there eating the salmon out of his hand and like smiling. And what's that? What are you doing? (laughs) You know, are we going to go and shop for records? You know, Pinky promised we're going to go and look at records. Okay. (laughs) Oh, no, I couldn't. That would be terrible. (laughs) And then it was just kind of like, like, uh, and in all truth, it was they were at the beginning of when they were really exploding. Mm-hmm. And we were both off balance in a way that we hadn't anticipated. It was a big opportunity for each of us in very different ways. And I think that we were both um, so excited about what we were doing, but also mildly terrified and not really seeing it clearly for what it was going to evolve into, that I think he was open and vulnerable and accessible in a way that if I'd worked on this season— I don't know that that friendship would have happened. Mm. He disagrees. Like, we have this conversation. Mm. But I think that, in all fairness, I think the accessibility and the openness would have been different because it was very clear that I wasn't coming at him for an ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. Like, we were both just kind of being kind and supportive to each other while we were traversing something that was just inherently slightly terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. And it worked out. styling is... Oh, it's so fun. It's fun and it's problem solving. It's Franken food. But it's it is <laughs> not so it's not food. Yeah, right, right, right. Food styling no longer is <clears throat> about food. Food styling is about uh, glycerin and paint and filters and what are you doing and styrofoam yeah. propping oh, yeah. things up. So part of that too is like I'm thinking, Oh, I can do this. I make a pretty plate of food, it's all fine. Then I YouTube it. <laughs> no. Don't ever do that to yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's like I have an itch. Let's go on WebMD. Oh, I'm dying. Oh, oh it's a, what, kind, yeah. what kind of parasite from Borneo is this? But I've never been. Oh, it's it's gonna. I'm gonna be the one and only. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. I start looking at all these like people with their big toothy grins and their precise little kits of like magi and like here's my this and here's my that and all of this stuff. And I'm just like watching it going. Oh, no, <laughs> you know. And then I was like, I brought the stuff that I thought I would need didn't end up using any of it except a makeup sponge which let me tell you what for propping up pasta hello i just read that somewhere and i was like how come i didn't know this i stepped one of those little suckers in the middle of there and like spun it on a fork and set it on there and because their uh texture is such the the spaghetti sticks to it, the pasta, Uh it kept it perfectly elevated. And then when I needed to tip it up a little to highlight a delicious little English pea, (laughs) I just stuck another little one in the back and it was like princess. Yeah. Wild. Lindsay, this is a a weird world that 
I have fallen into as well because I'm so into it. I'm like I am obsessed too, with it now, and I never even knew. Well, didn't know. I had to do it because we couldn't afford food stylists, right? And I needed when I worked at the Star, I needed pretty pictures, yeah, big pictures. So. I went to styling school a little bit, you know, it was a seminar. Is that a really? <clears throat> it was a thing. Is it like the International I, Bartender School? Probably. No, it was it was actually in Minneapolis and it was two home or no, it was more than two. It, it was some home economists that got together and they were sharing it with people and it became a really big deal. It was their fundraiser like they would have a 3-day seminar and bring in top people from all over the country. So I learned how to make fake ice cream. With Crisco, I learned how mashed to potatoes. do yeah mashed potatoes too. I learned how to do pizza pulls where you get that ooey gooey. You know, you use a hair dryer. Um, mm. But needless to say, I, I came back and I'm working in editorial. I can't do any of that funny stuff, right? Because right. it's got to be the real food. Mm. So what it, I was terrified too. The first couple times they're like, you're going to do Thanksgiving. I'm like, five dishes and a whole section? Are you kidding me? Um, but it became one of those things that I actually love to do because it's problem solving. It's and it's so crazy, bad. isn't it? You well, never then, know what's going to happen no matter how much you plan. And you plan, 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 plan. Yeah. But then you also have to have an eye for it and like an understanding yeah. of like all of the ways it can go off the rails. Hmm. Yes. So that there's a way to conceal it and do it. I mean, there was a casserole that I did for that book, and and it was, I mean, the recipe was super simple, like hamburger, mashed potato, some peas, some cheese. Yeah. Like, easy. But trying to make it look fancy or, like, make look, look cool. To Casseroles like, are ugly, let's just say. Let me right, just tell right. you what, the situation was not ugly. <laughs> I know it I won't did, be. But. No, but I, <laughs> I, this is where I went to the crazy part. I did a casserole dish. I put the hamburger in the bottom. Pipe the mashed potatoes on and dollops, and then I did string cheese and a basket weave on top of it. Oh my god! And dotted it with peas. Ooh! Because I was like, this needs to look cute. Because it just needed to look cute. Cute, cute is. And they were just like so great. They're like, oh, we should probably not do this one. And I'm like, (laughs) nope. I'm gonna. I'm. You're gonna. It's gonna. And I brought it in the next day, and they were like, oh, okay. (laughs) I love it. Proved them wrong. Yeah, I just thought that that flat, like just a very simple recipe needed to be. Hmm. It's good. There's nothing wrong with just an easy thing to put in a container and you can make it look like whatever, but it's yummy. You have to do something because otherwise it'll look like mush, right? Yeah. Um, So my strategy on that was always to photograph it in a very nice casserole dish, Mm -hmm. trying to get some of that, you know, Crispy The potato brown. chips on top brown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trying to get some of that around the edge, looking pretty, and then just taking a really small piece of the real estate, not the whole casserole dish. Or um, then next step, because you have to get the dish first, right? Because you can't recook this. I, I right. can't recook it 29 times, so like some stylists would do. And then take the spoon and dig out a little bit and then try to do that um, kind of a close-up shot. Yeah. But it was always like... We can't put any out on like a plate. It just doesn't 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 look like it doesn't look as appetizing. I have after learned that. if you put it in a bowl that is more like a rice bowl than something else, so it has kind of um, less of an arc to it, mm-hmm. and you put it in the center and mound it up where you're trying to make a pyramid shape with it, and then take it from the other side. You take it through the crust of the top. Pardon me. <laughs> 
<laughs> We're doing hand hand uh, gestures here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gesticulating at the altar of the casserole. Um, but it, you put it in a way where it's just kind of widens out, and then you can see the juiciness are lovely, and then you pick up a few of the supremes of like yeah. the delicious chunks and like poke them in there, sticking out a bit. It works really, really well. So there's a lingo, Supremes. Well, I the, mean, the best like, piece is yeah. that what that means? Yeah, you, you've the just little... invented lingo. The other one is like there's there's just this whole jargony lingo. You know, every profession has that hero. The hero is the one that actually you're going to photograph, not the one you're going to sit on set while they do the lights. Okay, so you you know, food styling <laughs> for a cookbook, obviously the HD pictures and you know what you did with food styling too. Does that change how you plate food for the restaurant in a world where everybody thinks they are one because uh, they have their phone and they put it on Instagram? No. And, no. and I'll be honest, if you look at the Queer Eye book, there there's a thumbprint on a plate. I mean, like, <laughs> no, I mean, literally, not not a thumb. I'm, how, how does the word literally pop in when you start trying to speak to somebody out in public? And I never Emphasis use that word, right, but, know, like, putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong <laughs> syllable. <laughs> yeah, it's... But I purposely, I tried to play it in a way that was intrinsic to who I was. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to be particularly other when I did it or mm-hmm. fancy in a way that I wasn't. The cake, I left the crumbs on the plate. Who's bothered by a few, you know, uh, cake crumbs? Mm-hmm. To me, that's like, oh, that cake got eaten. <laughs> Not like some sad guy in a corner cut that cake and then like agonized over it for 17 hours. It's like right. that cake looks like I want to eat it. I'm good with that. Yeah. That casserole. Yeah, that pea is shriveled. Yeah, somebody else would have spent whatever. But that's what your peas look like. You know, like I don't want to set people up for defeat. I want to set them up right. for a good version of the thing they can actually execute. I don't know. I've never been in the business of trying to make people feel bad about trying. What about food plating in restaurants? Do you think it should be simpler than it is then? No. If you're into that, I am into it. Okay. (laughs) If you want to micro-tweeze your way across 19 (laughs) courses of my life, I am down for it. That's your art. If you want to take a big old blob and throw it into a bowl and give me something to sop it up with and, like, tell me add a girl, I'm into that too. I love it. That just makes me think of the painting on the wall at Succotash. I love it. My friend Jamie. Yeah. That's your friend Jamie. It's I've always wanted Jamie. to know. Okay, friend Jamie painted by friend Sean. Oh. She took a picture of herself. It's she's a photographer in New York, incredibly talented, Jamie Warren. Um, she took a photo of herself when she did an article she wrote for Vice magazine called Your Fat Friend. And that was the accompanying picture. Like your fat friend's great. They're always home on a Friday night. Like they're always gonna look le- like worse than you in a pair of pants. And, <laughs> I mean, just like all of it. Wonderful. Like great writing, great. You know what painting we're talking about? With I do, yes. It's, the, of course. Soup. it's the, the most polarizing thing. And, you know, if you come in and you're like, oh, <laughs> Satan worshiper eating blood. I feel like that says more about you than it does about the painting. Somebody said that to you? Oh, so many times. Are you kidding? Oh, the amount of times people send me horrible things about how I have no, I should have no business having that in my dining room. And I just, all I can do is roll my eyes and be like, sis, you need to get out more. <laughs> yeah. Like, really? Come on. And it's fashioned in a way where you can sit with your back to it, and it's art. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're talking about it, fantastic. It's not hurting anyone. And I like it, so. I love all the decor Oops. in Succotash. It's all, I mean, you can sit there. It's like part of the meal is like staring around the restaurant at the different art pieces you have. Well, and it's nice because I I made a pact with myself to never show art in my place because really, like, 
if I don't like it, I'll tell you. And I don't ever want to put friends or people that I know in that position where Mm -hmm. I feel uncomfortable saying, yeah, I'm not that into that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a gallerist. I don't want to peddle art. So everything that's in there is stuff I personally own and like have collected over the years. And I love it. Hmm. You know, I'm very happy to have that in there and have that be um, just kind of a part of the history of the place and like the pieces that have kind of gathered over the years. It's I love. Of, it's kind of a signature, mm-hmm. like um, a certain cake you have. Mm-hmm. It's oh, very yeah. signature. Tell us a little story about how that <coughs> came about. Well, years ago, there was a woman named CJ who had this place called Land of Sweet Fantasy. And she did um, cakes for Tucker down at, um, there was a little shop in the city market. And I went in there and uh, he just, um, and I were visiting and he had some different cakes. And I thought, you know, cake really for me was the thing that I think makes everybody just kind of happy. And the thought of like a big weird piece of cake that you can't help but smile at and share because it's obscenely large (laughs) appealed to me. (laughs) And so... I I drew the cake on a piece of paper, and I said, can you make this for me and bring me one, like, once a week, and we'll sell them at the restaurant. And she did for um, a couple of years, and then one day the cake didn't show up. And I found out that she had passed away, Mm. and we didn't know. And she had concealed from everybody that she had had uh, uh, cancer and was not doing well and was lovely. And so then it turned into, well— this is really integral to her place. How do we honor her and continue it? But how do I figure out how to make it so it tastes the same and looks the same? And then we started just, or I started going on kind of a quest to figure out how to figure it out and finally figured it out. And we've been making them for like the last 16 years. How many layers is that cake? It's eight. Tall. It's eight layers. It's lemon, lime, orange, and strawberry with blue cream cheese icing. Rainbow colored and fun. Yeah, and the icing was um, tinted to the color of my favorite uh, car I had growing up in Detroit. <laughs> so Nice. Like that weird baby blue. Now, that cake also was inspiration for a novel. Do you know about this Judith Vertig's novel? Um, Which I'm going to have to think really hard the, about the name of it. I The cake right something. The cake Somebody therapist. Somebody mentioned it to me, but I did not know that. I have to... They sent me a salty message and said, did you know? And I was like, nope. So it's a really interesting... So this cake therapist, it's a a fun fiction book. Um, She's in a town that needs to be revived, I think, in Ohio. Um, You know, it's gone through its downturn and Mm -hmm. they decide to make a wedding area. And so this baker who's gone through some trauma in her life lands there and her signature cake is a rainbow cake Mm. with all of these different flavors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it soothes the soul of everyone who meets her, all the wedding planning, you know, Mm -hmm. bridezilla moments (laughs) are overcome by this cake. Um, But she's very intuitive. And when I saw your cake uh, or the cover of the book, I was like, wait a second, why do I know that cake? took mm-hmm. me a second, and I'm like, aha. And she, I have talked to Judith about it. She was inspired by your rainbow cake. Wow. That's very So sweet. you need to get a copy of this book. I do. Yes. Because I don't know. Maybe the baker's actually inspired by you, too. Oh. Who knows? 
Well, Bev, this is not the only famous cake situation even recently. You made a cake for Heidi Garner, KC native, an oh, SNL yeah. star. That's fun. Yeah. I uh, went to uh, New York earlier this year, and I um, was visiting Anthony in New York. And um, we did a show at the Bell House in Brooklyn. And uh, he, sweet as he is, took me to SNL. That Saturday night. How fun. And so I got to hang out backstage in Pete Davidson's dressing room. <laughs> wow. And watch the show from there. NBD. Yeah. <laughs> it was so nice. I mean, really so nice. They were just, it was lovely. Um, and then in the hallway, was standing after the show, and um, Heidi and Anthony know each other. And so she said hello, of course. And we started talking, and I adore her. I think she is an absolutely underrated uh, talent. Like, so she could play to beautiful, but she doesn't. I mean, she plays these great characters, and her tagline of, I'm taking the kids and going to my sisters. <laughs> it's like, it's my favorite. It was my whole summer. Every time we had something go bad, my friend Miranda and I would just be like, oh, I'm taking the kids and going to my sisters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or just like her characters, like Brie and like the Instagram couple that's just like like pure millennial fodder. It's so good. So we had a lot we had a lovely conversation and as she started following me on Instagram, which I did back, which, you know, at fifty two I'm like this is just like weird. But you know, it's cool, but it's weird because you're just like, I don't you know, in my day, you'd be, like, sending a letter with, like, Laura Frank stickers on it. I love you. Please write me. You know, and it's that's not going to happen. Just put a bunch of emojis on it. Now. Right. Heart, heart, heart. Now I'm learning how to, like, send, like, weird little pictures of things in absence of, like, an entire conversation. Right. Super crazy. Yeah, I just – do I want to make the mistake of sending the wrong vegetable and setting myself <laughs> oh. up for something just like – Oh, Mediterranean food? Oh, yeah. nope. I have to click the hashtag before I post to be like, has this been? Oh, nope. Okay. It means that now. Got it. I know. It's so stupid. Mm. So she, um, back and forth, she kind of posts about or will comment on cakes that are super like frosting or like over the top unicorny, <laughs> like, you know, Harajuku cake madness. And so I saw that she was coming to town for uh, the Big Slick. And so I just sent her a message and was like, if you're interested in a frosting forward situation, I'm your girl. <laughs> and so she's like, yes. <laughs> and so I made her those two cakes and just, you know, it was fun for me. And, like, I adore her so much. It's They were really pretty and fun. Fun. Frosting well, forward, that, yes. But I also, it's like I, you enjoy other people doing their thing and the way that they do it. It's super nice to be able to do the thing for them that you do. Hmm. You know, I we went I went to a Black Flag show this week and ended up talking with them after and then they all came for brunch yesterday at the restaurant. So like I had brunch with Black Flag at the restaurant. It was like Allow me to be uncool. Is that a band? Black it Flag? It is it's an old punk band. Okay. So and it was really fun and um last time I saw them was in Detroit in the eighties. But oh, wow. it was super nice to just be like, Hi, that was great. Um we should make you a sandwich. I feel like that's fair. And they're like, yes. And that was great. Well, is that? It's universal. Is that mm -hmm. how 
Queer Eye, did they initially come into the restaurant for like breakfast or nope. anything? No. They just well, went. How did um, they figure out that they wanted to connect with you? Because of my magnetic personality. Well, we know <laughs> well, that. No, but you have to like, find the name and the phone number, Brian, right? Uh, Brian Busby and uh, Steph with the Film Commission. I'd done some other work with different things. And uh, Busby's one of my oldest customers and just a just sweet guy. And they came to him as an ambassador and said, who would you recommend? And he's like, oh, I think this would be a perfect fit. Oh, wow. They called, called me. And I was like, um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I feel like I can mark out the next six months of my life. Cool. Make no. some calls to the restaurant. So um, that could be at work a lot for the next six months. Is that cool? You good? Okay, good. I feel like we're going to figure this out. Oh, my goodness. So that was it. And I, I was supposed to start three weeks later. And they were called me. And they're like, no, can you start now? Oh. Like the 2nd of July instead of the 16th. Okay, so I had like four days to get started, and like it was just on and hundred percent, you know, just as fast as I could go, and it was wonderful. And I reconnected to my love for what I do hmm. because I got to cook things, I got to engage with people that were in the position I'm in. It's not often that you get to interact with people that are kind of at the top of their game, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Um. I've avoided a lot of the caveats a lot of people have fallen into in the city as a chef or as a restaurant owner because um, you can't lose a game that you're not playing, if that makes sense. And so I've operated in a world where I don't broker in looks. I'm not um, up for awards. I'm not um, competing with people in the same arenas. And I have been deliciously able to be exactly who I am from the get-go and create a world that works for me and be happy to have anybody in it that wants to be there. Hmm. Um, But that also puts you in a position where you have an inherent understanding of what you're able to do, but you don't have the opportunity to prove whether or not that's true. And so being in this environment where I got to do things that I never saw coming And it was coming at me with such a rapidity that my only option was to continue to say yes or to shrink. Hmm. And so I just kept saying yes. And then making a great friend who was also super supportive while it was happening. And if I had a moment of just feeling nervous about it or less than or questioning my worth at the table, it was very kind to have somebody that was part of that say, no, you're you're doing well. You're okay. Like, this is great. Vote of confidence. It was great. You know, it was really, you know, and like the people I was catering for, like the writers, like David Collins and, you know, Rob Eric and a lot of the, and like Jen Lane and, you know, Rachel Mendez, all these people that are really, they've seen a lot. They've been on a lot of sets. And for them to be very happy with what was happening and when their execs flew in, instead of taking them to lunch, they'd have them come to Crafty. And so they'd come to Crafty and have lunch, which was, that was pretty great. It's great. You know, Anthony talked very highly about something he said he wish he would have thought of first. The, tomato uh, lemonade. Yes, the tomato <laughs> lemonade. First off, thank you so much for putting a quote from our podcast on your menu. Are you kidding? That thrilled us beyond belief. Yes, we felt like we'd made it. Well, he just filmed um, the opening for his book tour. And he sent me a message yesterday and said they filmed it. And I had sent him a jar. I got a ton of heirloom tomatoes and... Because I'm his grandma now. (laughs) 
I sent him, I sent him like peach jam, blueberry jam, and I sent him some um, tomato lemonade concentrate because I had these Cherokee purple tomatoes, and they had uh-huh. so many. So I made gallons of it and just canned it. Yeah, because oh, I, right. I went old time in town in my kitchen. <laughs> so um, he part of the filming of like the opening of his like thing is apparently him opening the tomato lemonade and mentioning the tomato lemonade and I don't know. We'll see. And the Chew, seen it. Chew Diligence podcast, no doubt. Uh, well, of course. Get... Yeah. <laughs> no. But I'm was... making a coconut cake with him at his um, book tour on the at Unity on the twelfth. On he the twelfth. He was so fun. We were we were kind of fangirling, you know, oh, before yeah. he How got can you here. Not? Yeah, oh. we're all like and I was looking at his Instagram going, Can I sit next to him? Oh <laughs> my gosh, without drooling. Okay. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's the least interesting thing about it. I know, but you just think Wow. And oh, then he, he shows up. And oh, he's, he's hot. Just, There's no question. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But you meet him in not. person and you're just like, he's so great. He's so normal. He's kind. like if you had a cool brother that had like a slightly cooler friend when you were in high school. Yes. It's like that guy. Yeah. Hmm. And he just was, doesn't does just doesn't quite realize it, hmm. which do, is great. Yeah. And do you remember he kind of seemed like he wanted to stick around for a while, which thrilled yeah. us. You know, it's like he was interested because we were doing back to back podcasts that day. Mm-hmm. And so we got a late start mm. through no no one's fault. And um, we ended up being 20 minutes late for our next guest. So they were just standing, waiting, waiting. And he's apologizing to them. And he's interested in what they do here in Kansas City. And I was just like, this is such a non-celebrity nice thing to do. You know, just being a normal person. But he's a good egg. And like when he meets people that he has a conversation with, he wants to have a conversation with them like any normal human being would be. And still, even though I'm sure that has... Had been okay. overwhelming, right? You know, I'm yeah, sure. But it's like he said to me, like, we'd be standing in his kitchen and every so often, like, he'd look at me and be like, I was a waiter three years ago. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like, it's not yeah. lost on him how lucky he is. Yeah. Like, and he is exactly what you think he is. Mm-hmm. Well, what's he like in the kitchen? Because... You know, he's it's like asking somebody what somebody's like in the bedroom. Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, like, that's why I asked. No. I know the way you asked that. That was so funny. It's just like, oh my god. Well, I mean, let's dish a little bit because he's good. Is he? Because he's he, really good. He was. You know, he's received some criticism, and we asked him about that during the time we were mm-hmm. talking, and and he said, you know. It's it's not about me. It's about the it's hero, true. which makes perfect sense. I and love that his ego is not there when it comes to that. And he yeah. understands that for the 15 things film, they're going to pick out the one thing <laughs> where the person he connects with shows the most for that person. Mm-hmm. You know, for every one thing they show, he's doing, you know, five, six other dishes. But he's also practical enough to understand that he has no control over that, so why get salty about it? Yeah. Well, and by and design, he's trying to show somebody who doesn't cook how to keep doing it. It's so. like if you think he can't cook, just look at his Instagram when he's cooking for his friends mm-hmm. on his stories. It's very clear he's cooking. He's cutting things. He's doing it correctly. The food's beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's a good cook. Yeah. And that was one of my favorite things about him from the beginning was talking about food. She's you know, so excited about And we're both control freaks in the kitchen. And for whatever reason, he's a lefty, I'm a righty. We both turn different directions. We don't bump into each other. <laughs> we it works. can work in itty-bitty little spaces. And pardon me, ooh, the burping. 
um, <laughs> we're congenial enough that we know we're we can work in close proximity and it's not weird. And it's not like it's just perfectly fine and I don't feel like we're going to knife each other and <laughs> You know, we have a good shorthand, and it, he loves to speak different languages when he cooks, which is darling. And I may not understand what he's saying exactly, but because I know what he's doing, I just keep responding, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, I need that now. <laughs> or like, What languages, how many languages does he know? Let's see, Polish, French. Polish, French. Oh, so many. Don't don't put me on the spot. Okay, there's like there's five or six. So this wow. is just this is just a stream of consciousness. Oh, hey, yeah. hey baby, I'm chopping the onions, kind of thing in Polish. Hundred percent. Okay, hundred <laughs> percent. That'd wow. be amazing to listen to. Yeah, and funny, and then like weird music and lots of really just awkward dance moves, <laughs> and good. <laughs> yeah. And so, what kinds of things would you guys cook together? Um, I would more. I would cook for him a lot. Um, a you lot, would cook for him a ton, and then okay. when I was I recipe tested his book with him. That's mm. that was my. Did you had, do that at your house or the restaurant or where did you? Uh, do my that? house in his apartment. Mm. Okay, so he um, uh, hired me to do that. Um, well, after I'd done the food styling and I was doing the catering, and then I was uh, private chefing for JVN and for him. Oh wow! And then just like, and mostly private chefing for JVN, and then I would cook extra because. He wouldn't eat well, and so I was just like, fool. <laughs> and I'd show up at his house with just like a double of whatever I made for Jonathan, and, you know, I think that's w- what he primarily ate the entire time he was here. Oh. Just, you know, yeah, you look a little shrimpy. I brought you some soup. So, <laughs> or, <laughs> what kind of stuff did JVN want you to make, or did he give you carte blanche? Or? Um, it was a mixture of um, healthy but accessible. Hmm. Yeah, he was very kind. Yeah. Oh, that's too fun. So it would be like some weeks it would be like macaroni and cheese and like homemade baked chicken strips. Like think. Um, Comfort food. Like think like how do you hide vegetables in a kid's food? <laughs> like that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and it was great yeah. and I enjoyed doing it and he was incredibly nice about it. Like incredibly nice about it. Uh-huh. And it'd be fun to see him really enjoy something because he's so exuberant when he gets excited about something too. Girl, there yeah, is nothing think? he enjoyed more than a Hardy's biscuit. <laughs> like there was no topping it. <laughs> A morning, like cinnamon, that was like, that was the thing. Uh, and and honestly, I don't care what I made. The, the Hardy's mm-hmm. biscuit could not be beat. And one piece of mahi-mahi got close. And <laughs> I had a lemon bar moment where uh, he sent me a video of him doing like a gymnastics, like ending <laughs> to like the lemon bars. But it was Anthony's recipe. Oh, well. But, I mean, it was a joint effort. Layers of fun here. Yeah, it's fun. So the uh, recipe testing for Antony's book, that's the book he's coming to Kansas Correct. City for, right? Mm-hmm. Haley, our, this episode comes out the 12th, right? Let me check. Oh, sorry. Said the 5th. The 5th. Well. Maybe it's wrong. We're going to check. The 12th is when he's doing it's his the, show. It's the 5th. This episode comes out the 5th? I Correct. Correct. So, okay. Yeah. Okay, podcast listeners. So next week, he'll be in Kansas City. Yeah. On the 12th for that are you gonna be i mean hanging out for sure oh yeah he's yeah what yes. do you guys you guys mostly just when you get to see each other now that they're not living in the same city you go to each other's houses and hang out mm. or go out and do a bunch of stuff mm. both yeah. yeah yeah why not yeah he told us what made him start to love food growing up saturday mornings watching the cooking shows what about you um I don't know. Like my great grandparents had a restaurant in Detroit in the twenties called the Delmont Cafe, 
And it was part of kind of the folklore of my family, I suppose, growing up or hearing about it. And um, I had a multi-generational family. My grandmother lived with me from the time I was a baby. And I had that kind of just um, unconditional love of this person that, you know, was just prepared to spend all of their time with you. And so my um, mother and grandmother were not bad cooks, certainly, but they weren't they weren't really that interested in food. I mean, it was like um, if we had Chinese food, quote unquote, it would be the Lachoy noodles. Somebody would stop and get McNuggets and they would make like a sweet and sour sauce with canned pineapple and yeah, we're down. <laughs> um, but my grandmother being Hungarian had an odd flavor for like chicken livers or like liver and onions or – you know, cottage cheese and a big slice of like crying onion on rye bread. And <laughs> I remember my family just kind of being like, oof. And so as a kid, I loved her so much. I would just like cry through and I love it, you know, and like <laughs> dipping radishes and butter and salt on a paper plate outside, like in the sun with like a, you know, it just, I had a predilection for granny food from the time I was a wee, wee, wee child. <laughs> And like stuffed cabbages and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it wasn't so much about the food as it was about the time that I spent in, you know, just watching her hands twist over time. And like, I don't know, it was just very, it was something I loved, like just loved. And I think that stuck with me. And I never intended to get into food. I never intended to have a restaurant. I never, it wasn't a lifelong dream of mine. I came to Kansas City and... I was working for Planned Parenthood, and I was a sex educator and grassroots organizer, and that's how I moved here. And within a month of moving here, lost my dad abruptly and lost my job. They went to abstinence-only education. I bought a house a block north of Independence Avenue, block east of Brooklyn. Didn't realize what a na- like what a tough neighborhood I was in. I loved it, but when I was moving in, they wouldn't even deliver a pizza to my neighborhood. What year was that, Beth? That was more 98. or less. Okay. 98, yeah. And so it was just, um, it was another one of those moments. It's like I, I think that I continue to be all right because I truly embrace failure. And I don't see it as failure. I see it as a great opportunity for just rethinking your life in a way that you never saw coming. And I um, am lacking a certain um, filter where I, I, or a certain level of vanity where I don't really feel bad about sitting on the ground or like falling down in front of somebody. Because if you think that you don't or you say that you don't, you're full of it. So I feel like if you can make friends with falling on your ass, like you're going to be fine. And learning how to un, you know, un things is the way to success, Mm -hmm. you know, because good, bad, or indifferent, nobody can make you feel bad about yourself if you don't give them consent. Mm. So how did you pop up in the river market in the first place? Did you not have a job and then just say, gee, I ought to open Succotash? Truthfully, I was going into YJ's and I was having coffee there and um, I uh, agreed to, like, hop in and just work there for a little bit while I was figuring stuff out. And that turned into a two-year stint 
where I was there every day and making food on a hot plate, which mm. turned into a whole bunch of people wanting that food. And then um, somebody did a weird write-up in the uh, FYI section of the paper, and it was like, Chef of the Crossroads. And I was like, that's sweet, but, like, that's a stretch. Um, and I moved next door, and I opened up a little catering company that was, like, you know, teeny, teeny, tiny, and outgrew that in, you know, a matter of months. And I moved to the city market, and I opened up that entire restaurant, truthfully, for less than $20,000, the whole thing. Wow. Never took a loan. It was all the money that I had. My mom was kind and gave me a little bit of money at the time. And um, I never looked back. I had a $25 electric plug-in home stove, like a Kenmore with coils. That was the only stove I had for the first year. And little Mm -hmm. plug-in, like Presto griddles from whatever store, like on a conference table. I didn't have a hood system. I argued with the city for three months to just let me have a little over the top. I'm like, I have a home stove. This is bonkers. I shouldn't have to do this. I just went there every day until they were so sick of me. They were like, fine. (laughs) And that's how I opened is like where I don't have money. Yeah, I do have tenacity. Hmm. One of your early um, supporters, I remember, is Lauren Chapin, who was the restaurant critic at the Star at the time. So that's how I learned about you because I was doing food editing and didn't get out to eat as much. And she was thrilled with the eclecticness and the heartiness and the hominess. Now, those of you who don't know Lauren, who passed away about a decade ago, she was um, a hometown girl who grew up on a Weston farm, and she just she had an eye for the eclectic, and, and I, you fit that very well I for her. I remember. Didn't know what a big deal she was. Like I didn't. She never. I have been really lucky in my career. I've been very, very fortunate to have been championed by people that. Um. I don't even know that I deserve their, like, their kindness. But she was wonderful and encouraging to me and came in and ate a ton and would just hang out and have a salad and we'd talk and I'd, you know, bitch about this, that, or the other and laugh about this, that, or the other. And she just, um, she to me was kind of the quiet personification of an Atta girl. Mm. Like every time you saw her, you were just like, Okay, I'm doing all right. Like, I'm going to have a, co- a talk with somebody, a cup of coffee, and I'm going to feel reinvigorated. And she wrote incredibly kind, very flattering things that I think drove people to me in a way that they wouldn't have. Charles Feruza was another. Mm-hmm. He was a very early supporter. And frankly, I was lucky. I learned all this bullshit before the Internet. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It's like a band that gets to suck hard for a number of years and really, really, really learn how to to write a song and play a song and perform and get tight. Or a cook that learns how to mess up a few meals or a few things and then do it really, really well. Um, It's not living and dying by like this instant social media. You get to grow with something. I think that's been my, my luck. Yeah, I, I came in right in the sweet spot before um, 
chefs became rock stars and before this cult of personality took over and I got to use instant, right? Yeah. And I got to learn how to do it and to define who I was before somebody was telling me who I was all the time or trying to make me feel like I couldn't be. That's fortunate. I got in there right in the sweet spot. It's a different, yeah, definitely was a different era then. And, you know, I think there's some advantages to Instagram. People don't need to have advertising budgets at all. They just make Mm. their way, Absolutely. Through pictures, but I think um, it's exciting to see the people and the places that you have access to and learning and like, you know, different chefs in the country that I've befriended or have befriended me. And we hear that over and over. Exciting. Yeah. It's like, oh, I saw this. It's great. Tell me more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) People have followings and I guess they just talk back and forth and they know what else is happening around them. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also a real beauty in going back to the 90s (laughs) and early 2000s when like it just... You just did your thing and you hope somebody found you. I love a phone call and a letter <laughs> and a lazy like Allie. And, you know, it's just that to me is pure romance. Yeah. yeah. But I understand I that, you know, evolve or die. Hmm. And so I, I try to do the things that are, you know, smart. But I also am smart enough to know I don't want to. And I hire people that are willing to push the buttons, you know, and I'm fine with that. Like... Here's the pictures. Do what you want. (laughs) And, you know, I'm going to just keep doing the thing that I enjoy. And I realized I don't have to be everything to everybody. I can be just exactly what I decide to be and hope that it's enough. Are you mentoring anyone coming down the pike? I know you've been involved with the women's hospitality group that's been Um, doing things. Not specifically at the moment, but... um, I feel like that's a functional part of what I do, like, a lot. So it's not – it's really – I really try to make room for a wide variety of different people, both in the kitchen and in the restaurant. And, um, like, case in point is I, I'm hiring somebody or have hired somebody that they're taking over and being my uh, GM. Oh, wow. And I'm going to have, like, a real GM. <laughs> Which is kind of amazing. So that you can do all these other food styling crazy things, right? Or just transition it so that, you know, my life is more open to mm-hmm. possibilities. But I can focus on being creative and going and doing dinners and doing some things that are interesting. And, you know, her background is in, um, like, accounting, like book work. The which, business side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she is a little pink-haired lovely who is... Um, as deeply creative as she is analytical. Mm, That's a hard combo to find. Well, and I'm, we're wired very similarly, except I focus more on the creative than the analytical. She focuses more on the analytical than the creative, but we both have value for it. And it's been a really kind of unusual symbiotic relationship I didn't expect. And it was just because of looking in a place that, you know, people don't normally look for that kind of employee. And I think that's where I've been lucky is like I hire people that are kind and decent and loyal and you can always teach somebody to do something if they want to. And you can't teach people how to be decent. (laughs) It's just, you know, and sometimes I get burned and I have people that are awful at their jobs that are just kind of nefarious dirtbags. But it's sort of the, it's, you know, it's the nature of the beast. 
And it's at a point where everybody in there is invested enough in being happy at work and enjoying themselves and each other that if you get kind of a little turd in there, (laughs) they all just kind of naturally show the door because, you know, they don't allow it. Because they want their workplace to be. They're just like, no, no, we don't want to hear it. Interesting. Like, no, you don't get to talk about people like that. Hmm. Oh, no, we don't do that here. Hmm. (laughs) You know, and it's not like some weird, like, kumbaya culture. It's just more like, don't be a jerk. Like, simple concepts. Just just be be nice and understand that every day people come into that restaurant, they have a thousand choices they could make that are not us every single day. And I don't care how many years you've been open, I am grateful every single time somebody comes in that door. Hmm. And I do not assume that it is going to go on forever. Hmm. And I I want everybody that comes in there, whether it be the menu, the whatever, my number one goal is I want everybody that walks in there to feel welcome, not just tolerated, welcome. I don't care what kind of menu uh, restrictions you have or meal restrictions you have. I want you to find something that's simple where you don't feel like you have to single yourself out and explain to somebody like, yeah, I really am allergic to this or, yeah, my cholesterol really is this, so I have to eat that. It's like just order, (laughs) you know, and I make it as simple as I can so that everybody in a huge group can come and eat and Nobody feels excluded. No, we thought we were the hipster cool ones eating uh, at Succotash, and then we wanted to take my Grammy out for her 75th <laughs> birthday. We're like, where do you want to go? She goes, I found online uh, great pancakes are at this place called Succotash. We're like, okay. <laughs> Grammy picked Succotash. So you're right. Everyone like, feels welcome. I do. I love that. I just I, And my other favorite is on the weekends because we're small. Um, we'll get groups of, you know, like, uh, people that come in and we tell them, "Hey, your deuces," and which is a like table for two, mm-hmm. and we've only got a four top. If you sit together, we'll buy you coffee. Oh, that's and great. so we get like uh, like elderly couples sitting with like very very like punk kids <laughs> that are darling, and they sit together. And I think because they're both missing that thing in their own lives, hmm. you know, we find that they'll end up sitting together one weekend and they feel great about it because they would never have said hello on their own. And then they meet back the following weekends, and then there's, like, these little kind of sweet relationships that happen where it's, like, Grampy's buying us brunch, you know, and it's, like, (laughs) you know, they show up, and, like, they're so happy, and then they meet, and then it's just, it's like that weird thing where in there I feel like anything's possible all Mm. the time, and I think that's my favorite thing about it is, like, nothing would surprise me. And, and I mean, in like kind of a magic way, like there's just, I don't know, there's just something magic about the possibility of it all. And I also love that nobody's going to effing fire me. Let's <laughs> 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 be real. I feel like that's our perfect note to end on for this. I, I, this has been a lovely, whimsical, enchanting conversation. And this is magical. Like Thank you. Happy hour with great friends, Beth. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Yes. Thanks we're not even on. that drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, we can we can work on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes. Now I have to go to work now. That's right. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Chew Diligence. Yes. Thanks for having me. Yeah.